You found it. It's the Japan What Podcast. Coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo. The armpit of Asia. It's me, Matt Bigelow, from the Toshihisa Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. MatthewPMBigelow.com is where you can go to get show notes, photos, and more related to today's show. Until then, we'll be joining our weekly broadcast podcast from Tokyo that focuses on news analysis, AI trends, odd items, conflict, and more. And I am having what you are having, dear listener. Mr. Listener, Ms. Listener, I'm having what you're having. And as usual, it's right on the money. Perfect taste, Mr. or Ms. Listener. Uh, we're going to begin today. The, uh, the, the post-COVID, Japan is just coming back with the tourism. I, I've been talking about this recently, but I mean, it's like I went years walking around the streets in Japan here in Tokyo with nary a foreigner to be seen. And now I, I know I'm a foreigner. I'm very white. I'm a very white foreigner. I don't agree with being, a, you know, all that. But uh, there we go. They are just everywhere. It's it's really crazy. Just like the the floodgates get turned on and off, and people just come and go. It's amazing to see. Um, I hope everyone's enjoying their stays in the country. But first, as always, we are going to do a uh, product read from our hate read of the week, which is from Sora News Twenty Four. We don't like Sora News. I say this all the time. Uh, I'm captivated by them, though. I am like uh, one of those hostages that ends up banging their um, their uh, person with a gun to their head. Thank you, Sora News 24. This is it. Japan's new tiny ninja capsule toy collection turns your desk into a secret hideout. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Six-piece collection adds some shadow warrior fun to your workday. Shadow warriors are part of the fabric of Japan. No, they're not. With their legacy living on today at a number of places, like at the Ninja Dojo in Tokyo and the Trick House Inn. For those who want to experience the shadow warrior life from the comfort of home, there's now a way to do that too, thanks to the new Chisana Ninja capsule by Toy Collection from Tarlin. I'll be posting pictures of these... uh, Desk Ninjas on MatthewPMBigelow.com for your viewing pleasure. Very short read today. We gotta say, little ninjas on a mission sounds like a great way to keep us motivated in our own missions as we make it through the work day. <laughs> Zero emails, am I kidding you, right? And the ninja art of camouflage items are sure to bring a smile to your dial every time you look at them. The capsule toys retail for 300 yen or 2.23 U.S. dollars each, and Tarlin says they are not able to advise on exact sales locations, instead asking customers to look for the collection at capsule toy machines around the country. So it looks like we'll have to set out on our own ninja mission to find them. Uh, again, if you're into um, putting more random crap around your workspace uh, to distract you from work as if your phone isn't enough, I really recommend, no, I don't, these stupid ninja toys for your stupid desk, for your uh, fake life of pretending you're interesting by surrounding yourself with garbage found on the internet. That is today's hate read from Sora News 24. Thank you, Sora News, for capturing my attention like a hostage with a gun to my head.
<laughs> Where to begin for today? Well, we have a lot of things to cover today. Um, yeah, let's just take a look at. Um, we'll we'll dive right into it. This is a there was a, a giant um, LGBTQ uh, parade in Tokyo. Um, Tokyo area yesterday on April 23rd, 2023. Um, I've been to plenty of pride parades coming from a very liberal area of Canada, the Victoria in, in the early 2000s, you'd go and there'd be some like, it'd be kind of sexy, kind of not sexy. It'd be like dudes with um, short shorts on and no shirts kind of dancing to house music on the backs of trucks and stuff like that. It was pretty fun to be honest. I remember having a good time and, watching them go by. It was kind of a spectacle. And, you know, this is in the 2000s, so obesity wasn't quite as rampant, and we didn't have all of the um, trans kids that you do now. But I didn't really notice a lot of that at the LGBTQ Pride Parade in Tokyo area yesterday, just from the few pictures I gathered. Um, The sponsors were a lot of uh, PwC, Microsoft, or something like that. So a lot of corporate sponsorship from outside of the country, um, but what, you know, so there's that. I'm not going to go too much into it, but it links into. I, I remember um, I interviewed a drag queen, and, and he kind of refreshed my memory. This is years ago that I interviewed this drag queen, um, and he, I think he has the same name as me, Matthew something. I, I really can't remember, uh, but he was saying like, you know, 30 years ago, it was the um, gay and lesbian society where gay was kind of first. And he was saying that, like, gays were really into having fun and lesbians became much more political and so that they eventually became the lesbian and gay society. So then the lesbians kind of took over the politics behind it. Got some ambulances coming to shoot me down, I think. Um, And then it slowly emerged as, like, L, G, B, and then T, and then Q, and then the plus sign came. And we all know these things. And to a certain extent, I'm not going to be like those an old man, I'm 42, stuck in the mud, um, who says you can't can't move on and you can't change things. Things just naturally change and adapt. But this article here, I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to have my commentary about it. Um, And is it LGBTQ? PPI, whatever it is, it's quite a long acronym these days, and I can only go so far. I can only go so far. And this is from the Mainichi from April 23rd. Um, so this is yesterday. Israeli couple becomes first foreigners to hold same-sex wedding at temple near Tokyo. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to be one of these people who goes, oh my God, it's so amazing. I can't believe we're so progressive. And I'm also not going to be one of those guys who goes, the abomination of these people coming into the country and trying to change it. I'm like, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm really like, do whatever you want to do, make yourself happy. Da, 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 da. I'm that guy, but who doesn't really want to have it around children and who doesn't want it just um, constantly shoved into the periphery of, of my day as I'm going around. Like, I don't need to see flags everywhere. I don't need to see the, what's with the crosswalks? That's the weird thing. It's like, pride flag crosswalks i'm like okay so then you're stepping on this flag and you're like well stepping on a flag isn't really that respectful is it and then these people come by with trucks and sometimes intentionally do like a skid out like leave a leave a giant um, tire skid on the flag and it's like ha screw you you political group and i think that's kind of stupid and then all these people take pictures and go look at the hate look at the hate well you left a bunch of paint on the road. I mean, something's going to happen to it. 
It could even be unintentional. Like, what if a truck is coming along, it's late at night, and somebody's crossing the road and they're wearing black, they get lit up with the truck's lights, and the truck slams on the brakes and leaves a giant skid on the uh, on the pride flag crosswalk. It's like, it's a utilitarian function that has no place for political messaging, in my opinion. I don't care if there's a flag or some store puts it up or some person has it on their backpack or whatever. It's just like... Why is it embedded into the infrastructure of cities now? Doesn't that seem kind of odd? Like it's distracting. Should we be distracted by it when it's like supposed to be utilitarian guidance for traffic and pedestrians and stuff? It just kind of makes me go, I'm, well, with that, what? <laughs> that's what that's what this story is well. Uh, this, and I'm, you know, that's, that's as hardcore as I'm going to get into this. Kawagoe, Saitama, an Israeli couple recently became the first foreigners to hold a same-sex wedding ceremony at a Buddhist temple in this east city, Japan, um, north of Tokyo. And the temple plans to accept more sexual minority couples with a priest supporting the teaching that, quote, everybody can be happy, end quote. So good for them. Um, good business, too. Uh, gay people can spend a lot of money. Um, Sam, uh, Sai Myoji Temple in Kawagoe, which held the, quote, LGBTQ wedding, has apparently received a number of inquiries about same-sex weddings from abroad, and multiple other ceremonies have been booked. The temple hopes to contribute to a society, this is a quote, contribute to a society that embraces diversity and at the same time become a new base for inbound visitors to Kawagoe as an international hub for same-sex weddings. The Israeli male couple who recently held the wedding are editor uh, Reis Yoav, 58, and ophthalmologist Yoram Marion, 68. Dressed in crested hakama, or formal men's divided skirts, the couple, this is like the samurai clothing, the, in a way, the couple received blessings from those in attendance and faced the statue of the Amida Buddha, the main deity of the temple, as they embarked on a new chapter in their life. In lieu of wedding rings, the couple received rainbow-colored prayer beads, which symbolize LGBTQ and other sexual minorities from deputy head priest Myokan Senda and said their vows in front of the Buddha. Okay, they've been together for a long time, so these, you know, why not? Come to Japan, have your gay wedding. That's what it is, though. Is it an LGBTQ wedding or is it just a gay wedding? I'm looking at the photo here. There's two guys who are the, the grooms, Mr. and Mr. Groom. They're in front of a, a, a I'll post this on, on Matthew, pmbigelow.com. And there's a, there's a few people in the, uh, watching the ceremony go transpire. But I don't see any rainbow flags. They said that there's beads. I'm not seeing drag queens. I'm not seeing anything to do with the LBTQ plus, 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 plus. It's a gay wedding. It's a gay wedding. And that why is it what is it about this that makes it an LGBTQ wedding? It's it's a same-sex wedding. It's a gay wedding. I don't see what why what's with the other why can't they have a gay wedding? Why does their why does their wedding have to be folded into this wider, wider and wider group of minorities? That's just what I thought. I was like, whoa. Is it an LGBTQ wedding or is it just a gay wedding? Is there a difference now? Can you have a difference? Can you just say, we're going to leave the rest of the alphabet behind today and we're just going to be a couple of G's getting married? Or are you just, or do they even care? I don't, I don't know their position. I don't really care, frankly. I mean, like they're happy. These old Jewish guys come to Japan and get married uh, and, you know, have a big gay old time. 
uh, in their hotel afterwards. Presume, presumably, I don't know. Uh, but is it an LGBTQ wedding? I, is it or is it? That's, that's what I should have played. Is it an LGBTQ alphabet soup wedding? Or is it just a gay wedding? Is it? Or is it? I would say it's just a gay wedding. Moving on. Um, congratulations, by the way. <laughs> I'm not even trying to be careful about like, ooh, I don't want to step on the toes and offend everybody beyond that. I left it all behind, and now I'm free. And I don't want to be this negative guy who's like, the values. The gay people can't have kids. Well, the population of Japan is kind of in a free fall right now, so... What are you going to say about that? Uh, okay, sure. Uh, I don't care. I don't care. I'm so beyond caring. We're going to move on to a little bit of the economy here. I wanted to touch on this. I did this uh, a while back, and this is coming to us from the Nikkei Asia, and it's a bit of a headline blitz between what we see in the Japan um, subhead section on the Nikkei uh, English website and what we see in the China subhead section in the Nikkei website. The reason I'm doing this is that um, the Nikkei really literally means Japanese economy, um, the kanji for it. And I'm not seeing a lot of Japanese economy anymore on the Nikkei Asia. I'm seeing a lot of Chinese economy. I don't know what's going on over there, but they seem to be um, stepping more into the SDGs uh, type of a thing going on. And it's kind of, it's bizarre. I'm not sure if I entirely get it because I would just like to know more about the economy and not about everything else that's not the economy by going to the economic website of any case. So here we go. This one is, um, I'll read it from the Japan, and then I'll read it from the um, Chinese uh, subheads. There is no banking crisis. Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman. A bank chief says fundamentals extremely healthy despite Silicon Valley bank collapse. Okay, well, that's his opinion. Goldman Sachs seeks Japan investments for $1.6 billion green fund. Um, venture capital tries to find way and post a social, uh, Silicon Valley Bank era. Uh, opinion. G7 is not paying enough heed to Japan's sensible stance on energy. Politics. Japan's ruling LDP wins four out of five seats in diet by-elections. Who cares? Uh, business trends. Uh, Singapore's Japan M&A tops annual record by April at $2.65 billion. Um, GIC and bargain hunters behind record pace of investments. Um, Ukraine war. Agriculture. Japanese farm turns to foreign workers as rural population ages. Economy. Japan to subsidize half of costs for lithium in key mineral projects. Push to reduce reliance on China for crucial materials and EV batteries and motors. That's kind of significant. Uh, defense. Japan SDF prepares for North Korea spy satellite launch. It's always preparing. It's always getting ready. Uh, da, 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 da. So that's kind of the idea. I'm not... It, you'd think that by just clicking on Nikkei Japan, there'd be more Japanese economy on a Monday? Are you kidding me? Um... Bank of Japan to review a quarter century of unconventional easing measures. Uh, okay, so you're going to review uh, unconventional measures. A University of Tokyo to host Japan's best IBM quantum computer in fall. Expectations high for technology and material and battery development. 
Do quantum computers exist? Are those things real or are they just mainly prototypes? We don't know. Sony PlayStation unit acquires game developer Firewalk Studios. Japanese company aims to release 12 multiplayer titles by fiscal 2025. Um, Japan Health Ministry panel okays oral abortion pill for the first time. Do you see what I mean? Like It doesn't really seem like the economy. But when we go to the Chinese side... Um, U.S. urges Seoul not to fill China gaps if Beijing bans Micron chips. China to examine U.S. chip maker products for cybersecurity risk. China pumps $7 billion into upgrading chip supply chain. That's pretty major. HSBC shareholders should vote down Asia spinoff plan. Yun Suk Yeol in U.S., uh, that's the Korean guy. Um, Australia seeks to rebalance ties with China after three-year freeze. Um... World faces risk of drawn-out war if Taiwan conflict breaks out. Can China and Philippines discuss ties as Manila opens bases to the U.S.? Alibaba logistics arm uh, gears up for Hong Kong IPO. Baidu teams up with Chinese chip startup on smart car tech and all these things. So these are um, these are things that are happening. So these two, uh, again, I, I go to China. It's just like kaboom, wow, zoom, zoom, zoom. And I go into Japan, and it's like, oh, some local elections happened. And, oh, we might review some of our measures. I mean, it's not really doing people a lot of service. Oh, my God. And these, these, there's a picture I'm looking at right now that just angers me. Japan SDF prepares for North Korea spy satellite launch. And it shows a Japanese bureaucrat-type official delivering a message sitting behind a plastic acrylic acrylic screen to prevent the coronavirus because he's not wearing a mask they're still parading around in this charade in this country and it's obviously not doing anyone any good so that is the headline blitz for today i hope you could enjoy it We're going to take a look next. We're in the economy anyway, so let's take a look at some more economic trends here. The um, <laughs> This is just economic trends now in Japan just means what are the bureaucrats doing? G7 farm ministers, there's the G7 summit, the group of seven wealthy nations. Canada's in there for some reason. I don't know why. I'm Canadian. I'm, I'm mystified. It's like, hey, we're part of the G7. Why? Uh, why? Uh, G7 foreign ministers condemn Russia for war's impact on food security. Oh, really? Because you know what happens when you invade the Donbass region? The whole world goes to crap, right? Or does it have to do with the sanctions that were imposed? or the limitations on, on fertilizer and shortages? Or is it part of this giant sudden coincidence where everything, like, now we can't have, uh, rice is bad, they're publishing that, we've got to get rid of rice, but we have more bugs, we need more bugs. We need to shut down these uh, poultry farms because of the poultry flu, but we need more bugs, we need more bugs. Oh, no, 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 no. It's because Putin went into the Donbass, and now everything is more expensive, and we have... Uh, more food security risks. I don't buy it. I'm not saying I know what the answer is, but this idea that it's like, hey, the farm ministers know, the farm ministers know jack shit. 
The group of seven foreign ministers on Sunday condemned Russia for its war against Ukraine and the impact the conflict has had on global food security while also agreeing to help Kyiv revive its agricultural industry by sharing knowledge on demining farmland and rebuilding infrastructure. What type of advanced policies do you think that uh, Canada has on demining farmland and uh, uh, building uh, farming infrastructure that Ukraine doesn't already have? What do you think they got? Mm, I wonder. <laughs> Not a lot. In a joint communique at the culmination of their two-day meeting in Miyazaki, southwestern Japan, the ministers also discussed pathways to overcoming climate change. Oh, see, now it's getting wider and wider. And the COVID-19 pandemic. So these farm ministers, not only they're going to give Ukraine the technology needed to farm, because Ukraine's never farmed before, apparently, they're going to now also solve climate change and solve the pandemic again. Oh, these are cute. Oh, they're more resilient and sustainable energy forces. Oh, oh, these people are smart. Thank you, G7 farm ministers. The G7 farm ministers are really doing a lot this year. Quote, we are deeply concerned about the devastating impact the war is having on food security globally, not least through the price spikes in grains, fuel, and fertilizers, which is disproportionately impacting the most vulnerable, the statement said. Okay, what is the most vulnerable and how is that disproportionately impacting them? Does it say so or are they just making bold steps? That's what they always say. Listen. We agree that we need to take bold steps. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> According to a 2021 survey released by the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, agricultural expansion is responsible for almost 90% of global deforestation, with more than half of forest lost due to being converted into cropland and 40% disappearing due to livestock grazing. The ministers also announced a separate action plan dubbed the Miyazaki Actions as a response to multiple complex issues global food systems face. Wow, these people are doing so much as they eat and eat and eat at these places where they say things that they have never read before because it's written by somebody else. Almost like they're sock puppets, huh? I wonder if that's true. Are they just sock puppets? Uh, no, they're plant-based um, sleeve puppets. Among the points outlined in the plan is to, quote, to diversify, diversify supply chains by exploring the ways to enhance local, regional, and global food systems, making sustainable use of existing domestic and agricultural resources, as well as facilitating trade, end quote. Oh, I don't know what that means, but okay. Uh, over the meeting period, Japanese farm minister Tetsuro Nomura held bilateral talks with his G7 counterparts and, and several participating international organizations, Whoa, Nomura, a company, made agreements with his... Oh, no, sorry, the guy. The guy's name is Tetsuro Nomura. Mr. Nomura made agreements with his U.S. and Canadian counterparts to conduct regular dialogue and to exchange information on achieving sustainable agriculture and boosting productivity. Whoa, <laughs> it goes on and on and on. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. It goes on and on and on. Oh my God! This is all, th these people don't know what they're doing, and they—is they, this just a hey? They're just sugarcoating it, eh? Hey, hey! They're just sugarcoating all this nightmare that they're that they are creating. Uh, so yes, the, the sanctions on Russia—I don't think they worked. It backfired. Now we're all paying out the ass for it, but they still meet in these giant halls, 
and and just stuff themselves silly with the finest food from around the world. Then they burp and they say, "Let them eat bugs. Let them eat bugs." And that's 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 the G seven man. That's the G seven. Um, I say this to the G seven. I am the king of the ring. <laughs> stupid G seven. What a stupid group. Speaking of bugs, I did find some interesting propaganda about bugs. I'm gonna eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just gonna eat them one at a time, though. Okay. Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm gonna go catch that one. We'll finish the one that you have in your mouth first. Yeah. Um. So this is from a quite a long article that I've excerpted, and it's from Yahoo News in Japan, and I translated it with Chat GPT. Um, later on in the podcast, we'll look at how Chat GPT is being incorporated into Japanese politics, like the political process. A little bit strange. Um. I'd studied AI for five years at a telecommunications network that I worked at. And uh, I taught, uh, I researched AI trends and market trends. And the, the chat, the chatbot is a fabulous, I mean, the large language model into a chat chatbot is amazing. I'm, I'm surprised how fast this uh, chatbot has taken off. But anyways, we're looking at bugs. This, and so this says lowering the, the psychological hurdle of insect food especially important for children's food. So the way that these writers think that the, um, the adoptability of the, uh, or the uptake for bugs in our diets, uh, it really we have to start with the children so that they've advocated, this is my interpretation of this insane propaganda uh, program to basically brainwash children into eating bugs. Uh, the way they do it is they say, Look, eating bugs has always been part of your culture. There's these people that a thousand years ago, they used to rummage around in the rivers eating these little bugs under the rocks. And they go, oh, really? And they say, yes. And that's why we've developed this industrial-scale cricket farm where we're going to turn billions of crickets into powder for you. Then you can make pancakes because that's your culture, see? We're going to get... And then what about our rice? No, no, no. The rice is bad. Rice is bad. Because it's global change. It's climate change. They say, oh, okay. They say, just eat this cricket powder instead. (laughs) It's crazy. Anyway, so this is the chat GPT translation. And this comes to us from the middle middle of the article about promoting food. And they they turn their attention to the children. And this is where it begins. The next challenge is to create prototype products that have a low psychological barrier to eating insects. Particularly, it is important to develop foods for children. Brainwash them. Human taste, that's me. Human taste preferences are said to be determined by the age of six to eight. Such a phenomenon is also known in other human abilities, such as perfect pitch, which is also one of such abilities that are influenced by childhood learning. Now, I kept that in there to excite, like to tie it in with the G7 people. They just go off the rails and say the craziest stuff as if it's factual. And I'm supposed to nod with it and go along with it. Whereas like, I'm just kind of going, you're making no sense. So because there's perfect pitch between six and eight, we got to feed kids crickets. Is that what you're saying? Because that's when they're the most influential, influential, a new word by me, MatthewPMBigelow.com. The important factor in determining food choices is actually dependent on childhood diet. So it is important to eat crickets from childhood. In addition, it is important to clarify the 
pleasure obtained from nutrients and functional substances. In the long term, it is important to improve social awareness and promote social penetration, Ew. including media strategy, propaganda. In addition, exploration of factors that can improve taste and functionality should be conducted in parallel with each step. Continuing to breed one pair of crickets for one year will result in approximately 477 trillion adult crickets. I checked the translation. I believe it's accurate. If I'm not, contact me. In Grillis, um, J-T-E-K-T, a function, uh, an organization mentioned earlier in the article, has developed a fully automated breeding device in collaboration with others. The groundbreaking aspect of this technology is that crickets molt eight times before becoming adults, but their shed exoskeletons can be collected. Mm, exoskeletons for lunch. Uh, there is a possibility that the shed exoskeletons of collected crickets can be used as nanofibers. The surface of insects is covered with a hard shell. Its composition is the same of that as a crab's hard shell. It is called an exoskeleton and is composed of about 20 to 30% chitin and chitin-binding proteins in calcium carbonate. Humans are not supposed to eat chitin. As far as I can tell, we're not supposed to really eat insects either. We're supposed to eat everything else. Dr. Feng Fa Tao and others at Wuhan University in China, oh, let's turn to them for our science, reported in a scientific paper, quote, Carbohydrate Polymer 2020, that chitin-chitosan-based nanofiber scaffolds can be used effectively for bone regeneration therapy as they can aid in bone regeneration. Dr. K.S. Che and his colleagues from Korea's Hanyang University reported in a scientific paper that chitosan and chitosan-based nanoparticles from the house cricket could be used in bone regeneration therapy. Their paper established the optimal conditions for preparing nanoscale particles of crickets, uh, chitosan, revealing the characteristics and demonstrating that low molecular weight from insects, insects can be used as functional material. According to Professor Shinsuke Ifuku from the Graduate School of Engineering at Totoro University, chitin, the main component of a shell, can be isolated as chitin nanofibers. Researchers have reported that a transparent film can be made by reinforcing plastic film with these fibers. Cricket-derived nanofibers are expected to be utilized for various applications in many fields, such as medicine, cosmetics, and textiles. Wow. So that's... That's, that's their plan, to make our kids eat the bugs so that we can harvest the exoskeletons and make plastic with them. I don't know what these people are doing, but every time I look at them, it drives me nuts because they make no sense. And then I think it's not really happening. But then you look at like a map of where all these cricket farms are being put into place, and they're all over the place. Um so I, it's like data centers, I guess, in a way where you think, where are these data centers? And then you like go down a street one day and you realize that there's a, a network of data centers probably close to where you live that you'd never even thought of before because there's a, like a water source that's nearby and the land was cheap and they had a, uh, you know, factories that left town. So all these data centers get built and they go, oh, they're the data centers, I guess. And now you have apps on your phone. You're like, Facebook doesn't use any uh, carbon because it's on my phone. Meanwhile, the data center is using plenty of carbon, but I digress. The, does this make any sense to you? Did these G7 people make any sense to you? Did these cricket people make any sense to you? But they're the same people that want to tell you to turn everything off in your house uh, put a windmill on top of your apartment and eat bugs next to a solar panel. 
That's their plan. And I think, is it high or not high? High or not high? It's very, very high. Very high. They gotta be on so many drugs. Can you imagine how many drugs you would need to be on to walk around in life thinking that these are logical things that just need to happen? You'd need to be on a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs. Let's take a look at Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. The Fourth Industrial Revolution is World Economic Forum speak. It's Klaus Schwab speak. And that jingle that you're hearing right there is produced by the uh, Japanese government. And so it kind of indicates that they are really all part of that big club. And we ain't in it. Excusez-moi, mesdames et messieurs. Blueprint drafted to set routes for autonomous trucks and drones. Now, I'm not against the whole Society 5.0 thing. I think when we use AI and, and turn it on things, uh, turn it on things, meaning like we focus the AI onto things, so data amalgamation, um, it, even things like, oh, there's a, a traffic accident and um, the congestion on this road is super high. Oh, and why don't we send a message out to uh, phones to redirect traffic? Make an option like, hey, if you, t- if you go home this way, you'll get there faster or something like that. Uh, And then restaurants who are on this alternative route could get like a notification and say, hey, why don't you um, advertise a special because more traffic might be coming your way and uh, they might be tired because there's been an accident. So it it turns the the AI and the data amalgamation onto infrastructure and things around us um, and eases the burden so that by the time we you know we're affected by a traffic accident we already know about it well ahead in advance so we don't we're not stuck in the middle of a situation that type of society 5.0 is great um i i've also been noticing a lot of 5g towers going up in the rapongi area i'm a little bit iffy with some of these designs because on the bottom you have advertisements um in the middle you have cameras and microphones and on the top you have receivers uh, what are they doing with the cameras and the microphones? And if it's connected to 5G, it's connected to AI. And if it's connected to AI, you have computer vision and all sorts of identifications that can be going on, uh, meaning that uh, your face could be being tracked in real time in China. Uh, you don't have any rights at all for that type of thing. So they will just do whatever they want with it. But what's going on in Japan and what is the threshold to meet before your facial data is shared between agencies um, or insurance companies uh, in such a situation. I mean, if you're if, if you want to take a day off work and you're not feeling well, but you're feeling good enough to maybe go and do a little shopping that you need to do in a in a commercial district, if your face is seen and it's scanned and then it's sent to your a job agency, oh, is that okay? I don't think so. Um, but it, so, what are the thresholds for the sharing of this type of information? And again, I'm not not against it. It's just it's you may as well be against you know 
uh, if you're against this, then don't get into cars and just ride horses, okay? Because odds are you're getting into cars and those replaced all the horses and then all the pavement replaced all the horse trails and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you get it. So this is kind of, for me, a good thing um, because we need the regulatory aspects um, to implement these technologies in a reasonable way. Can we get there? Well, I support the reasonable approach of focusing it on infrastructure so that it becomes less focused on the government and medical institutions trying to get inside my brain and then sell that to insurance actuaries because that's also what's going on. And the more we avoid that, the more it focuses on the things around us and the happier we can all be moving into the future. N'est-ce pas? Whew, I just had a sneeze there. Uh, so let's begin. Let's look at this. Um, this comes to us from the Asahi Shimbum, and I will be setting all this up for your review pleasure at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Blueprint drafted to set routes for autonomous trucks and drones. Um, this comes to us from April 18th. You may have heard this already, but the Japan What News podcast is not really about breaking news. It's about things that are going on, and you can go back a week or two to see what's coming up now and what might be going on in a week or two from now. It's living in the, in, in, in the Goldilocks zone. The Japan What podcast, we're living in the Goldilocks zone. Um, the government has drafted plans to designate specific routes exclusively for autonomous vehicles and delivery drones. This is huge. The blueprint presented during a March 31st meeting of the government's Council for the Realization of the Vision for a Digital Garden City Nation. That's all capitalized. <laughs> that's that's the, I'll read that again. The council, the government's Council for the Realization of the Vision for a Digital Garden City Nation. We want a digital garden city nation, and we promise we are not bat. She's not crazy. So this is intended to spread the use of such vehicles amid labor shortages and logistics and the declining use of transportation networks in depopulated areas. I'm at this point where just importing labor from other countries to serve the needs of like rice farmers and stuff like that, if it can be done with um, technology first, that's not a bad idea, to be honest. I'm kind of supporting it more and more. Maybe combination. Combination is what I support. I always support the combination. According to the plan, a designated lane will run, on a pro- will run along an approximately 120-kilometer section of the Shintome Expressway between the Surigawa Numazu Service Area and the Hamamatsu Service Area, both in Shizuoka Prefecture. Self-driving trucks will be allowed to use the lane during a light night time slot, possibly in fiscal 2024. Sensors and cameras will be installed on the shoulder of the road and elsewhere to check for fallen objects and other obstacles so that vehicles can avoid them. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier, where if the network understands what's happening in real time um, and the self-driving trucks and cars or whatever uh, can prepare for that and, 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 and observe the street-level data from, a, from, from the truck's perspective, you have this dual operation going on, and it's, it can, if done properly, it sounds pretty interesting. Uh, the government envisages vehicles potentially self-driving at, quote, level four, which allows them to run without a driver under certain conditions. Highways are good for this because, in my opinion, um, there's few people on the highways, the, the speed limits are all very well set. They're very um, even in Japan. Um, and there's a few changes that occur on these highways. They do occur, but you don't have kids running after balls and you don't have individual streets all looking different from each other. It's pretty standardized. 
A ban on level four autonomous driving was lifted when the revised road traffic law took effect in April. The government's plan is to allow vehicles to self-drive along the uh, sorry is allow is to allow vehicles to self-drive along 100 sections of highways in Japan in fiscal 2027 when we go to war with Taiwan. Routes of delivery drones that fly beyond the line of sight will also be developed. Also huge. Uh, yeah, that means they can go behind buildings and they can... So this is, again, the the network knows where the drone is, so the human doesn't. The government plans to designate an approximately 150-kilometer route in and around Chichibu, Saitama Prefecture, for drones to carry supplies, hopefully in fiscal 2024. Another good thing about this is that it decentralizes Tokyo from being the center of everything. A lot of this stuff's hard to develop in Tokyo anyways because Tokyo is such an individual city. Um, but a lot of these areas that have been developed in the past 20, 30 years look very similar to each other. And Saitama is nice and wide and flat for the most part. And this area in, in Shizuoka Prefecture, I'm, I'm guessing it's also, it's not wide and flat. Well, who knows? The drone route will run along a power transmission lines to allow cargo to be transported in hilly and mountainous areas. The drones could also inspect the electric cables and be recharged. Um, yeah, because there's few people underneath the transmission lines and the public is already psychologically used to um, the transmission lines carrying energy or something from one point to another point. So to put drones on top of that uh, minimizes the risk of human damage and already exists in this idea in the public consciousness that that space is already allocated for the transportation of something. Um the drone route will run along power transmission lines. Uh, oh, sorry, I read that. Japan plans to develop more than 40,000 kilometers of drone flight routes. The government will establish a study council in June to work out plans for these and other forms of digital infrastructure. It hopes the cabinet will approve those plans before March next year and promote investment by the public and private sectors. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. A lot of these um, routes can also be along um, abandoned or closed down train lines. Uh, these typically run um, in rural areas, in, in open nature, along mountainsides and stuff like that. And the, the drones are noisy, but so are the trains. And again, people are used to it. So this type of thing, very logical, very targeted, <coughs> very reasonable as well for this type of you know futuristic technology. And if it's coming, it's coming. And I think it's coming. And um, good on them for for not just getting like 100,000 Vietnamese people to be running around with medical supplies, delivering them to 90-year-olds in rural areas and stuff like that. By this point in time, it might make sense just to get a cold package, slap it on the bottom of a drone, zip it along the power line transmissions, and deliver it to some house in the middle of Saitama somewhere. Um, you, be the, you be the judge. Uh, so that's one aspect of Society 5.0. We're going to take a look at another one. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform... Well, that was... Uh, we're just going to cut that, that off pretty short. So 5G is this thing that I was really interested in, and it was easily available to be interested in because all of these tech um, conferences and news agencies and, you know, phones, 5G phones and all these things, every week I'd be like, 5G, 5G, 5G. And I would have uh, my students would come to me who were installing 5G equipment into this place or that place and say, oh, yeah, we want to install 5G to do this, 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 and this. And then the pandemic hit, 
And that job went away, boo-hoo. And uh, 5G, it was like, what happened to 5G? It was supposed to be everywhere. I've noticed 5G towers going up here and there. I'm pretty good at identifying them. And I don't mean like the white boxes, which I can also identify. There's these beautiful looking towers that I was talking about earlier that are have an infrastructural design. So you could literally put them next to a traffic light and you would think that this 5G tower is some sort of funky architectural design, but it's actually a 5G tower with facial recognition, advertising services, and um, transmission, uh, wireless transmission capabilities. Pretty interesting stuff. One of the aspects of 5G, a lot of people say, is that if you're between, if I'm between a whole bunch of people, uh, my phone might not be able to connect to 5G because the transmission gets weakened from, you know, it doesn't penetrate through people. But if you have it, um, 5G Transmissions uh, on tops of towers aiming down at people, that resolves that solution. So that could be part of it. But nobody wants to just be sitting underneath a whole bunch of, um, you know, creepy-looking 5G towers. So they designed them to make them look pretty sweet. Anyways, so this comes to us from SoftBank News, and it says, what is private 5G? Now, most people don't need 5G, actually. Our phones work quite well. I don't need... Um, to have 5G to stream lossless audio quality um, from Apple's music. You know, I subscribed to it. I thought I wouldn't. I did. I love it. It's great. And I get whatever I want whenever I want, and it sounds great. So I'm obviously a subscriber. What is private 5G? But for, we had this idea of net neutrality. Um, what? Why should my, as a consumer, if I want to watch Netflix, but there's ambulances that need to deliver people to, you know, hospitals and they need to access the internet to find out availability. Why should my Netflix interfere with them? And then people didn't like that. 5G might be that type of service where it's for hospitals and infrastructure and government and things like that. It's not going to be ubiquitous. They'll try to make it ubiquitous. We'll see. But one aspect of the market that people are trying for is like um, stadiums, stadiums, uh, gas station networks, stuff like that. What is private 5G? And SoftBank News says, when people hear the word 5G, public 5G is what may spring to mind. To use public 5G, a consumer with a 5G-compatible mobile handset and subscription needs to be in location in a location with a 5G network coverage. As a mobile network operator, SoftBank has been offering public 5G services for consumers across Japan since March 2020. I don't have a 5G phone, so I'm not part of it. Don't need to be. With a private 5G network, on the other hand, a mobile network operator uses its licensed spectrum to manage a service that provides a 5G network connectivity with the required bandwidth and capacity for a specified location, such as the premises of a factory or a municipality. Ah, yes. Factory, the internet, the uh, IoT, Internet of Things, the industrial Internet of Things is another major thing because we can remove all those workers and, and increase uh, you know efficiency. By introducing private 5G, enterprises can benefit from a highly secure, stable, and high-performance wireless network. Um, network slicing enables high-quality connectivity. This is this gets into the weeds a little bit. I'll be posting that on to um, MatthewPMBigelow.com, but. One, one aspect of private 5G that we'll be hearing about in the future is you'll go into a, a, a factory one day and they'll say, oh, we have a private 5G, just like a lot of places have their own private Wi-Fi networks now. Or, yeah, the, you'll, um, you'll be transferred to a training facility and they'll say, oh, we, here's, your, 
here, here's your tablet for the day. It's a 5G tablet, and please did 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 this. So all of these major companies in the world, probably Deloitte and you know Amazon and all these people are trying to imbue their infrastructure with 5G connectivity because of its latency, and you need to have very accurate signals with low latency to enable very complex wireless systems to work functionally um, and well into the future. They want to expand these things. They don't want to be, they don't want to hit the ceiling of 4G with a lot, you know, more that they would like to expand into. And they see 5G as part of that. But if you're just on an open 5G network with the rest of society, you might want to be protecting yourself a little bit from hacking attempts and stuff like that. So by having a private 5G network with your ambitions into the future with wireless connectivity and their solutions that are possible from that, a lot of companies and enterprise solutions, which is a, a burgeoning aspect of growth in the telecommunications network world, it's incremental, but it's consistent and people are happier. Consumers were really angry for a while with with the craziness of the of, of Facebook and Twitter and all these social networks. They get into their brains and their brains get scrambled. And a lot of I think um, telecommunications networks are like, we need we don't want to deal with these people anymore. Let's just let's focus on business. And so that might be an aspect of private five G could be meeting that business to business need, and that is society five point oh for today. I do have one more, but I wonder if I'll get into it. Yeah, actually, I said I would, so I will. Um, Chat GPT, um, considering using parliamentary questions and answers if concerns are resolved, says Minister of Economy, Trade, and Industry Nishimura. Yokosuka becomes first local government in Japan to begin Chat GPT trial use. I'm like, what? What? Really? This comes to us from Kyoto News from April 20th, 2023. The city of Yokosuka, south of Tokyo, on Thursday, become the first local government in Japan to start trial use of artificial intelligence chatbot GPT, chat GPT, across all of its offices, hoping to improve efficiency. Officials in Yokosuka, Kanagawa Prefecture, say confidential data will be excluded and that entered data will not be used for training chat GPT. Interesting. So in the one-month trial, Yokosuka will use ChatGP to make bulletins, summarize records of meetings, edit documents for typographical errors, solicit proposals for new projects, and gain advice uh, for its policies. Advice is not the way to go. But those other things are. Um, give me the minutes from today's meeting. You can do that <laughs> with ChatGPT. It is one of the tools we can use as we think about what a municipal government can do to help residents lead happier lives. What would be really interesting is you take those minutes and you make them available online and you just that automatically. Uh, so people can kind of go, oh, interesting. And if they have an issue with what is said, they can contact the government and the government can say, oh, we said that, but uh, we it meant this. Well, maybe not like that. What I mean to say is residents could help improve the efficiency of the shared minutes if they are so inclined to. That's what I meant to say. City officials will enter questions or instructions into Logo Chat, a chat tool already introduced for local governments and connected with ChatGPT for the trial. The city will officially adopt the generative AI if the trial proves its usefulness and effectiveness in improving municipal operations. Chatbots are software applications trained using massive amounts of data. Da, 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 da. I think it goes on from there. I think we all get it. Interesting, though, that... 
uh, this this AI adverse society we live in, Japan, even though they're trying to make it all AI all the time, it's still everything, all these digital solutions end up just being more paperwork for me. It's interesting that uh, government is officially using chat GPT in their day-to-day use. So that is Society 5.0 for today. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living. I just like to play that out a little bit because then I say that's actually from the Japanese government. It's not some some YouTuber. It's that's their plan. That's their plan for all of us. We're going to move now to our vibration specialist, the vibration of the uh, podcast, Mr. DJ O, who sent us in this message after um being pretty tipsy, I think. You be the judge, is he tipsy or not tipsy? And we'll come back in, uh, after that. Cheers. Greetings, Matt and Japan What listeners. This is DJO, Ohio's wayward son, and I'm not dead yet. I'm embracing the weird topic corner with a segment I'm calling What the Bleep Do We Know? One of humanity's greatest faults is how we gravitate to exotica. Remember the words of Arthur C. Clarke, magic is simply technology that we don't understand. Now, when Albert Einstein said, vibration is everything in our universe, he was not joking around. Vibration manifests as everything. Sound, color, gases, liquids, solids, everything in our universe, including the food that we eat, and our thoughts. Now, these vibrations are all around us. We can only measure so much by our mechanical means. What we detect on the electromagnetic scale, for example, are degraded vibrations. But there are levels of vibration above what our advanced machines can detect. Now, when we feel good listening to music, or when the sun shines on us, or even when we're taking a shower, the so-called experts explain this away as a chemical result of this or that. But there are other reasons. I'm going to urge Japan What listeners to look up Japanese scientist Masaru Emoto, the author of The Hidden Messages from Water, who also appeared in the movie What the Bleep Do We Know? Masaru Emoto. Masaru Emoto. And Dr. Ibrahim Karim from Egypt, the founder of biogeometry as a science. Ibrahim? I-B-R-A-H-I-M, Karim, K-A-R-I-M. Most people don't know that Professor Emoto worked with Dr. Karim to present his experiments in which conscious thoughts 
were projected into water. And the water crystals were photographed at a microscopic level. The results are publicly available. Now put another way, Professor Emoto's experiments prove that we can, with our thoughts, communicate with water, which is a force of nature. Now this is a huge leap for most people, but we need to regain this suppressed ability to communicate with the forces of nature. Back to you, Matt, and keep on vibrating, brother. All right, we're going to finish off today's podcast with just a little bit of war. Die for the war, everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war, die for the war. Japan's self-defense forces miss recruiting target by more than half. This is funny. Um, if you look at, like, the Straits of Taiwan, if China invades, Japan needs to come. We're going to use Japanese subs, and we're going to destroy the, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army of China's Navy. We're going to destroy them all, and they don't have stand a chance. My idea, this is just a little thing to say before we get into this final segment. I think that... The United States being the um, the country that it is, you know, whether you like Trump or not, I think everybody is America first in, in America. Even like super liberals that you meet abroad, they'll be like, oh, this reminds me of Central Station. And you're like, what are you talking about? Central Station. I'm like, what, where is that? Oh, in Philadelphia. I'm like, we're in the middle of, uh, of, of Jakarta right now. I just met you. What are you talking about Central Station for? That's a... That's a, um, a story my brother said to me once. I changed a little bit of it, but, uh, you know, to maintain um, identity. But, yeah, uh, so there's this thing. Anyways, I think that a lot of the plan right now is to sucker Japan into blowing up its its own resources and its own relations and then um, becoming even more reliant on the United States. <laughs> that's my idea if you look at europe with ukraine now blew up all of its ties with russia and now it's even more reliant on the united states it, you know if 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 america can kind of sabotage japan's relations with a lot of its major asian neighbors and increase reliance on america well it will just you know deepen that divide between China and Japan and create a lot of, you know, 100-year resentment. And that 100-year resentment might turn into amazing business chances for the American government war machine. Just an idea, just throwing it out there. But this comes to us from Nikkei Asia. It's a pretty short one because I don't subscribe. Japan's self-defense forces miss recruiting target by more than half. Ukraine war, Taiwan tensions may be influencing decision not to enlist. Yeah. So the soldiers who naturally want to fight for their country are not joining the task of uh, fighting for their country because of fighting. Um, thank you, Nikkei. I think I'm on to you guys. I think you guys are pretty, you guys are another, you're not a sock pup, but you're a, you're a lab-designed um, plant-based fiber puppet. 
Tokyo, Japan's self-defense forces recruited less than half the planned number of fixed-term personnel for fiscal 2022. Nikkei has learned a shortfall that comes as Tokyo aims to boost the country's capacity to protect itself. They're increasing all the... It's like, we're going to have a lot more money for you guys, the government. It's like, we need more. We need shipbuilding. We need all this stuff. Come on and join us. And everyone's like, mm, no, don't think so. Uh, the SDF aimed to enlist 9,245 such personnel for the year ended in March, but recruited only about 4,300. Reaching less than half of the goal was well below the previous low of 72% set in fiscal 2018. A lot of these people, um, young people, I, I think that they might not necessarily believe everything about COVID, which is what the government and all their um, elders have been telling them for the past three years, and they're they are dropping off of this um, this this narrative big time, in my opinion. We'll still see a lot of them join up, but I think a lot of them are kind of going, "Nah, you kind of really screwed my life up there. I don't think I'm going to fight for you. I think I want to see you go down." We are looking at resentment. Um, this next one, this is the last one for the day. Thank you for sticking around for the last one, because as we all know, China has spy in Japan intelligence agency, ex-detainee, suggests in book. Before I get into that, there have been reports of Chinese police stations in other countries around the world, including Japan, and one alleged police station was in a hotel it was like a kind of a, a hotel but not a hotel where they chinese um officials or chinese related individuals just being very careful with my words right now could go in and do their thing so that's just one idea it's like it's not a police station where you go in and you knock on the door and there's a policeman in there it's it's under the it's under the under the radar but anyways, China has spy in Japan intelligence agency, ex-detainee suggests in book. This comes to us from the Mainichi on April 21st, 2023. A Japanese man who served a prison sentence in China after being accused of spying has revealed in an upcoming book that he believes there is a spy for Beijing in Japan's public security intelligence agency. Hideji Suzuki, the former director of a Japan-China Youth Exchange Association, was sentenced to six years imprisonment in China after authorities there accused him of espionage. He suspects a Chinese spy in the Japanese agency may have been behind his abrupt arrest. Suzuki's book, titled Chugoku Kosoku Nichi, Spy Ni Sareta no Kiroku, or translated, 2,279 days in Chinese detention, the record of a pro-China-Japanese national labeled a spy, will go on sale in all, you know, on April 24th, today, distributed by Mainichi Shinbun Publishing, Inc. This is published by Mainichi. The book says that when he was interrogated by the Chinese Ministry of State Security, the country's intelligence agency, Suzuki was shown about 20 photos of public security intelligence agency officials. All of the photos were ID shots. The name of the organization has been erased, but according to Suzuki, they were all the same format, so it's probably to say it was probably safe to say that they were agency IDs. 
Suzuki also happened to meet a Chinese diplomat whom he had known from the Chinese embassy in Tokyo as he was transferred after being indicted. The diplomat had also been indicted on spying charges and told Suzuki that there was a spy within the Public Security Intelligence Agency. Suzuki quotes them as saying, quote, It's no ordinary spy. It's a spy of considerable magnitude because what I told the Public Security Intelligence Agency was leaked to China. It's a big deal, end quote. Considering this encounter, Suzuki asked, quote, why does the Chinese Ministry of State Security have copies of Public Security Intelligence Agency official IDs? Could there be an explanation other than that someone within the agency provided the information for the Chinese side? End quote. He added, quote, could it be that internal information from the Public Security Intelligence Agency is being leaked to China? If there is a spy of considerable magnitude, what level is this person at? End quote. Regarding Suzuki's allegations, the agency's public relations officials uh, office told the Mainichi Shimbun that it would refrain from comment due to the nature of the matter. The finalized ruling in the second trial in China found Suzuki guilty concluded that, one, Suzuki was dispatched by the Public Security Intelligence Agency, which the Chinese government recognizes as a spy organization and was paid for collecting information. Two, when he dined with the aforementioned diplomat in, China, in Beijing in, in December 2013, he heard information about China and North Korea and passed that on to the Public Security Intelligence Agency. I think that that Chinese diplomat was in on it. He was trying to find the guy. And three, the Chinese National Administration of State Secrets Protection recognized that what he passed on was illegal information. How much does this go on for? We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to read the, the possibility that a spy within the Public Security agents, Intelligence Agency provided information which the Chinese side used as a basis to suggest that Suzuki was working for the agency cannot be ruled out. He told the Mainichi Shimbun, quote, I had an acquaintance at the agency, but I didn't consider it to be a spy organization, and I was never assigned any tasks. It's a complete fabrication, but I have no doubt that the information from the agency was passed on to China's Ministry of State Security. There have been a series of incidents of Japanese nationals being held in China, and in March this year, Chinese authorities detained a man in his 50s who worked for pharmaceutical firm Estellas Pharma Inc. on suspicion of violating local law. Suzuki says in his book that most releases occur before the person is officially arrested and that to secure the freedom of detainees, the Japanese government needs to approach the Chinese side during the detention period before the person's formal arrest. Uh, that's probably important information. Not exactly sure what it means. Um, very interesting. Uh, it's going deep these days, folks. It's going deep. And... Um, uh, I think a lot of the world is still in like the mid nineties, especially the G seven world. We still use our phones and everything like that, but everyone like everyone's like, Hey, REM, <laughs> maybe not, maybe it's just me. Uh, but I still feel like culturally, intellectually, we are stuck in the mid nineties to about 2003, 2004 with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that really kind of screwed us up culturally and um, economically for the for the whole world. That's kind of why I'm in Japan is because I just didn't have many prospects in, in Canada. 
Um, and we saw places like China and now India really focusing inward and, and growing out their own vision for the world, which, you know, I'm not really on board with, but they're there. And uh, now they, instead of spending and wasting trillions and trillions of dollars outside of their countries, they've been building it up internally. And it's not like they're building it up in a way that would make us feel great for them. It's building them up in a way that makes us feel envious. I think there's a lot of envy. And there's a lot of naysaying, you can't do that, but they just go ahead and do it anyway. So that's a classic Canadian stance on things. Hey, you can't do that. And then people just do it anyways. And then Canada's left behind and Canada's like, well, you're just being greedy. It's not fair. Um, and uh, the militarily, they're building it up. And I think that um, because the China has a cultural diaspora that ex extends back hundreds of years, they have actually a very good understanding on that level, the diasporic level, of how the world works and can incorporate that back into China. The average Chinese Juan, you know, six pack, six pack two, whatever his name is, he doesn't understand any of this. But I mean, the on the diasporic level, they're able to suck all that information back into China, into the CCP and utilize it, whereas the rest of the world can't. How much does Japan know about the CCP? Um, I guess a lot enough, I'm not sure. But can... Can Japanese people, I mean, pretend to be Chinese people, for example? Can they go and, and gather intelligence on a large scale in China? I really don't think so. Japanese people, on average, really stand out as Japanese people. And uh, I don't mind that. I think that's a good thing. But their capabilities internationally of being able to spy, maybe not so good. Being able to deal and incorporate their ambitions with... Um, uh, large organizations in the past, such as the WHO, the WHO, I mean, uh, the United Nations, the G7 and all that, work to an extent. I don't see it working a lot now, and we can see that with the massive trade deficits going on with Japan, the um, decisions that are being made on these levels, it's not leading to better things, it's leading to worse things. And um, as long as the elites in Japan have their heads stuck up their asses and talk about climate change and diversity. Uh, we're going to see more of it. And the more we see um, China, India, Russia talk about uh, their own nationalistic efforts and ways to improve their own countries, we're going to see them build up and get better. This has been the Japan What Podcast. I didn't even uh, go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, make a donation, however you can. We're on Podcasting 2.0 apps. Uh, make sure to help us out however you can. You've been listening to the Japan What Podcast. Coming at you from the back end of Tokyo. The author of Asia. Shinjuku's Toshihisa Cho Studio. Mima Bigelow.